So this morning, um, we're going to be talking about one of the very most important, but my least favorite virtue in the Bible. Who can guess what it is? Don't, no, not, not, none of the staff, right? <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about patience. Uh, patience is one of those things where it's like, yes, I know, God. I, I, I know I've got to learn this. I know that I've got to capture this. But man, this is not a virtue that's fun to develop. This is like the one virtue that's like you want the thing, but you don't want the thing that you have to have to get the thing, right? You don't want to go through the process of what it takes to develop patience. You just want to have it. I, there was a, a, a demonstration outside of the National Patience Foundation, and they were saying, what do we want? Patience. When do we want it? Right. No, that's... Uh, that was funny, you guys, actually. That was hilarious. Yes, thank you. Um, we learn patience in all different ways. Um, my wife, I think, is probably the most patient human being on the earth because she's been putting up with me for like eight years now. Um, but we have, l- let me ask you this. If, if you're married, how many of you have different senses of what time means? Like different senses of timeliness. You, do, you know, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Um, some of you guys are like, yes! Um, my, my wife and I, we have these different senses of time. For me, time is like this linear, lockstep, you know, increments of units that are moving forward. Every second counts. Every, you know. For my wife, she's more artistic. And so time is more of a malleable thing. It's more of a fluid thing. It sort of bends and molds. And we used to get in arguments all the time on our way to church. Because, like, for me, if, if we needed to be here at 8, 8.01 is, like, devastatingly late. To me, it's just, like, that's, like, the worst possible thing. 8.01. Or 8 and 1 second, right? For Rebecca, any time before 9 is, like, gravy. It's like, hey, we're, hey, we're not late, you know? Um, patience is just one of those things that, that, that you're going to have to develop in every aspect of your life. I used to pray, God, you know, help me to have patience in these situations. And God said, look, you've got a brain and you've got a car. Why don't you just drive separately? And then that's going to take care of the situation. So, so we, we all struggle uh, at times with patience. I found some quotes that I thought you might appreciate. One person wrote, uh, now you've got to think about this one. The early bird gets the worm, but it's the second mouse who gets the cheese. I know, I know. That's not good. Let's move on. I'll pray for patience, it says, because if I pray for strength, I may throw him out the window. Uh, Another one said, it takes patience to let your friend complain to you. It takes skill to make them think you're actually listening. (laughs) Another one was, before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet in order to see who they really are. And the last one was patience, the quality you admire in the driver behind you, but hate in the driver in front of you. You guys, those are a lot funnier than I, I thought those were a lot funnier than you did, but um, maybe it's just the, you know, the patience thing for me. We, we, all, we all struggle with this at certain points in our lives, and today I'm going to talk about this concept of eternal plan versus temporary solution, because a lot of times in our life, it is very hard to wait and endure God's plan for our life. And we want to interject 
with our own solution, our own quick fix. We want to change things. We want to step out from under the difficulty or the challenge or the hardship or whatever it is. And we want to make a move to get out of that. And sometimes God is saying, I want you to be patient. I want you to endure. I want you to stay with me on this. I've got a plan for you. And I want you to just watch it unfold. Um, We've had this theme verse for the last several weeks, if you've been here. And the theme verse is from Hebrews chapter 12. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And then it says this, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we haven't focused on this word endurance yet in this series. But this is a very, very important word for this concept. God is saying, I want you to run with endurance. What does that mean? That means that God is saying, you're not always going to have it the way you want it. Life is not always going to unfold the way you desire it. Life will not always meet your preferences, your likes, your wants, your desires. And I want you to endure despite that. I want you to trust that I am with you. I want you to stay in the race when things are good. I want you to stay in the race when things are bad. I want, to, I want you to stay in the race when you're on top. I want you to stay in the race when you're on bottom. I want you to stay in the race. Keep following me. Keep pursuing me. Keep loving me. Keep, keep seeking me. Even when you don't understand what is going on in your life. And even when things are not working out the way you would like for them to work out. In 1984 uh, was the first year that women ran in the marathon in the Olympics. And a woman named Joan Benoit won the gold medal. An American won the gold medal uh, in the women's marathon. And in fact, her um, time in that marathon is still the record for the women's marathon in the Olympics today. But there was another woman in that race who was equally inspiring. Her name was Gabriella Anderson Scheiss. And... Her race was inspiring not because she won. She didn't win. In fact, she came in seventh to last. But her race was inspiring because she had some really, really hard times in the race. She got heat stroke. She got dehydrated. She started suffering physically. And yet she endured. She said, I'm going to keep going. And when she came into Uh, the stadium for the last 400 meters. Some of you remember this. One writer said this, the crowd gasped in horror as she staggered onto the track for her final lap. Her torso twisted, her left arm limp, her right leg mostly seized. She waved away medical personnel who rushed to help her, knowing that if they touched her, she would be disqualified. The LA Coliseum crowd rose to their feet and applauded and cheered as she limped along the track in the race's final 400 meters. While the effects of heat exhaustion were plainly evident, trackside medics saw that she was still perspiring, which meant that there were still fluids in her body, and they let her continue to march toward the finish line. I want to just take a minute, and as an example of endurance as an example of finishing the race, as an example of facing hardship and difficulty and trial and and still going, I want to just show you the last lap of Gabriella's race in the 1984 Olympics. Watch this. 
My big worry was the, the heat and the humidity. You just try to, to put it aside and just concentrate on your race. My head and everything was still functioning. I, I knew where I had to go, and through dehydration, you, your body cramps up. I kind of told myself, try to keep running, try to stay upright. My muscles just didn't respond. I knew if I would stop or sit down, that would be the end of it. I just was determined to make it to that finish line. Amen, you're dismissed. <laughs> Point made. The writer of Hebrews is saying to us that following Jesus is not always going to be easy. Pursuing Jesus and following him and leading a life where we're obeying his commands and we're seeking his ways and we're following his principles and his laws and his precepts, it's not always going to be easy. But he's calling us to endure. He's calling us to press forward through difficulties, through trials, through challenges. In fact, this great cloud of witnesses that he's referencing in Hebrews 12 is hearkening back to Hebrews 11. And in that passage, he's talking about they faced death, they faced persecution, they faced stoning, they were slain by the sword, they faced mocking and jeering and every imaginable deplorable act that could be done against them. Torture. It says they lived in caves. They lived in holes in the ground. And yet they endured. And they're around us, this great cloud of witnesses. And God is calling us and saying, look, they ran the race. And today I'm calling you to run the race and run it with endurance. Don't give up because you're, you're, you're tired or you're worn out or things haven't worked out. Keep staying in God's plan. Keep pursuing his plan instead of your solution. And so we're studying one of these giants of the faith today. And her name is Sarah. And Sarah, Sarah endured the longest wait in the whole Hebrew Bible. Nobody waited for longer than Sarah did. Sarah had a promise that was given to her early on in her life. And God literally made her wait and wait and wait and wait. She waited longer than anybody else in the Bible. So if you're here today and there's an area in your life that you're struggling with and you're saying, man, I just wish this situation would resolve itself. Maybe it's a financial situation and you just keep getting hit. Like everywhere you turn, something else happens and you're going, man, I just, I wish this was over. I wish I could just resolve this. I wish I wasn't stuck in this. Or if you're in a relationship challenge, right now and your relationship you just don't even feel like it's gonna work out I mean it's just toxic or it's just dead and you don't feel you don't feel anything anymore and you're going man I just I want out I want to bail I want to cut I want to cut bait I want out of this 
Or if it's a career and you're just stuck and you're going, God, I thought that we were going to be further along than this at this point. I thought things were going to be different than they are right now. And when is this going to change? And when are you going to step up? And when are things going to be better? God is saying through Sarah, he's saying, I'm with you. I've got a plan for you. I want you to endure the good times. I want you to endure the bad times. If Sarah were here today, after the longest wait in the Bible, here's what she would say to you and I. She would say, place your trust in God's eternal plan because it's always better than your temporary solution. Put your trust in God's eternal plan. It's always better than your temporary solution. Have you guys ever, you know that you're supposed to do one thing, but it's like, I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to go down that path. It's too hard. It's too stressful. It's going to take too long. Let me see if I can just fix it over here. Let me just see if I can do something real quick to fix it. I've done that, and I have an old house. Every once in a while, I'll try a little plumbing fix, and uh, it usually doesn't work out so well. Uh, or I'll try a little construction fix or something like that. Usually it doesn't work out so well. God is saying, there's a, there's a plan that I have for you. And I want you to know that I've got this plan for you. And I want you to stay with it. Um, in Sarah's life, and earlier on in her life, she was married to a guy named Abraham. In fact, his name early on was Abram and her name was Sarai. Uh, and then God changed their names later on. But when they were first married, pretty early on, relatively early on in, in their uh, relationship... Here's what God said to her husband. He made a promise and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And then he said, look around to the north, the south, the east and the west. You see all this land? I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to give this to your offspring. And then he said, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your uh, offspring could be counted. This is an amazing promise that he's making to Abraham and Sarah. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you children. I've got, uh, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I've got this huge promise for you. And yet when Abraham and Sarah would run into circumstances that were hard, it was easy to hear God's promise It was easy to read God's promise. And it's easy for us sometimes to come on a Sunday morning and and hear that. Your grace is enough. You know, you're like, yes, it is. God, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. And then you get out there in the week and you struggle. And there's a difficulty and there's a challenge. And suddenly you want to divert. And you want to step out of God's plan. And you want to fix it your way. The Apostle Paul says this to us. He says, we've got a promise too. And one of the most famous promises in the Bible, he says this. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He says, if you're following God, if you're following Jesus, if you're committed to him, you're pursuing him, everything in your life is ultimately working together for your good. But what if it doesn't feel good? It's working towards your good. What if it doesn't look good? It's working towards your good. What if you don't like it? It's working towards your good. All things, everything is working together for your good, for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But when you're struggling, it doesn't feel like it's working out to your good. And when you're struggling, you want to take a side road. 
and you want to fix it yourself with your own ideas and with your own plans and with your own thoughts. And that's precisely what Sarah did. This great story early on uh, in their uh, relationship, the scripture says that uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah were, were going down to Egypt and they were going to live there for a while. They had had a famine in their own land. So they go down to Egypt. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, baby, you are such a beautiful woman. You know right there, he's getting ready to, she's like, all right, where is this going? All right, what, what do you want, right? Listen, Sarah, I know you are a beautiful woman. And here's the thing, he says, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. And they're going to kill me. But they're going to let you live. They're going to want you, and they're not going to want me. If you're my wife, they want me out of the picture. So why don't you do this? Say you are my sister, Sarah, so that I will be treated well. And my life will be spared. Abraham says, look, I know I've been promised land. I know I've been promised children. I know I've been promised uh, to be protected, that those who bless me will be blessed. Those who curse me will be cursed. But you know what? I'm worried about the uncertainty about, of what's about to happen. And I'd prefer to be treated well rather than to be treated in the way that I think I'm going to be treated. So we need to come up with plan B. And plan B is you're going to lie and I'm going to lie. And we're going to pretend you're my sister instead of my wife. And so they go into Egypt. They do exactly this. And sure enough, the Egyptians go, man, she is good looking. And they go and talk to Pharaoh and say, hey, there's this family that just came in. And the, and the, the, the woman in their group, one of the women in their group is very, very attractive. And Pharaoh says, go find out uh, what the status is in their relationship. You know, who is she? So they go. And Pharaoh and his men, you know, come down and he sends some of his guys. And they say, so what's the relationship here? And Abraham says, oh, this is uh, my sister. Right, sis? You know, and she says, yeah, I'm a sister. And so Pharaoh says, all right, um, I'm taking her to be mine. And so he takes her and he makes her his wife. How did it work out, Abram? You, you want to save your life and you lost your wife. Doesn't work out so well, right? In fact, things did not work out well at all in Pharaoh's household. Uh, people, there, was, there were problems. I can't get into all the details, but some problems started arising in Pharaoh's household. And pretty soon it sort of got to him that, wait a minute, this woman is not his sister, it's his wife. And so the scripture says that Pharaoh summoned Abraham and said, Abraham, what are you doing? Why did you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? And he says, now, look, here's your wife. Get out of here. Get out of Egypt. I know you came here because there was a famine. I don't want you here. I don't want to be treated that way. I don't like what just happened. Get out. How do you think the car ride went from <laughs> Egypt out, right? I don't think it went well. There's some mistrust, there's some anger, there's some shame, there's some embarrassment. I mean, they, they, they risked the covenant between them, right, because they were afraid to follow God's eternal plan. They were afraid that they wanted to introduce their temporary solution, and they were afraid because of the uncertainty of what's about to happen. If Sarah were here today, she would say, trust God even when the outcome is uncertain. Even when you don't know how it's going to turn out. 
Trust God even when the outcome is uncertain. Because here's what happens. I don't know if you do this, but when you don't know what the outcome is, do you ever sort of project the worst possible case scenario? Do you sort of like go, well, what if, uh, and that's what Abraham did. He's like, I'm going to be killed. And then, nobody was going to kill Abraham. In fact, Pharaoh's like, this is your wife. What's the matter with you, right? But we don't like uncertainty. And sometimes, because we don't like uncertainty, because it terrifies us, we will make a bad decision that will lead us to a bad, certain result rather than wait for God and see what kind of uncertain result he's going to bring to us. I counseled somebody, this was years ago, a guy who had been praying about a job. He was out of work and he was praying about a job and he had a very specific job in mind that he wanted. Uh, And he had a particular gift and a particular talent. And God gave him a job that was like perfectly aligned with his strengths. Perfectly aligned with his gifts. He was like a duck in water. He loved his job. He felt called to it. He was was just swimming along. And I was just so happy for him. And one day he came to me and he goes, Hey, I need to tell you, you know, I, I don't have that job anymore. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, there was some sort of politi- a little bit of political infighting in the office. And I said, yeah. And he said, and then we had a meeting, you know, about it. And I said, yeah. And he said, and in the meeting, I just quit the job. I just said, I'm, I'm out. And I said, well, why did, you, why did you quit the job? And he said, because I was afraid that I was going to get fired. And I was like, hold on, man. You were afraid you were going to get fired, and so you fired yourself. You were afraid of a bad outcome, and so you made, but, but you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, so you made a decision to, give, to guarantee the bad outcome because of the discomfort of the uncertainty of what was going to happen. I really wish he had talked to me before that meeting, because, you know, and he struggled to get another job from that day forward. God doesn't want you to just pull the chute. God doesn't want you to bail out when things get hard. God doesn't want you to just take a nosedive whenever you start to struggle. God wants to teach something to you through the uncertainty, through the waiting, through the patience. He wants to grow something in you, and he's calling you to endure. Endure and trust his plan. When we have uncertainty in our life, that's when we want to get out of there. That's when we want to create a quick fix. And God is saying, I want you to keep going. So Abraham and Sarah leave Egypt, there's mistrust in the relationship now, there's despair, there's anger, there's guilt, there's, you know, finger pointing both ways, Um, and they're, you know, they move out of Egypt, and uh, they still have the promise, God had promised them, he said, you know, uh, you know, you're going to have the land, you know, you're going to have the the offspring, you're going to have a great, you're going to become a great nation, and things are, things are actually starting to work in some of those areas, But the one area that it wasn't working for Sarah was the offspring. Sarah and Abraham were barren. She was barren and they they weren't able to have children. They were struggling with infertility. And it's a, you know, anybody who has struggled with it or knows somebody who struggled with it, it's a difficult, very difficult struggle. And they're struggling with it. Um, And so Sarah says that, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix this. I cannot keep struggling with this. One, one commentator said that for an ancient Israelite woman, it was her children who assured her position in the home. She felt cursed. She felt like she was not going to be loved. She felt like she was not going to be valued. And so she said, you know what? I need to fix this. I need to change this. I know God has promised us children, but 
I'm, I'm not seeing it. It's not happening. And it's taking a long time. It's taking longer than I would like. And it's, it's getting later and later and later. It's going to be harder and harder. So this is what Sarah did. Scripture says, now Sarah had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, she said, the Lord has kept me from having children. I know that he promised us offspring, but he's kept me from having children. So I've got a plan. This is Sarah's second plan. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Remember early on, God said, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. Sarah says, I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing it. I'm going to build. I'm going to build. I'm going to do it my way. I've got a temporary solution. And this is going to work out. And I'm going to do this. Because God is not coming through. And it has taken a long time. So Abraham, it says, agreed to what Sarah said. There you go, Abraham. Sarah took... Uh, Sarah took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. So for a minute, Sarah's going, it worked. It worked. He has a child. It's not my biological child, but it's through my servant. And so Hagar and I are going to just raise this baby together. And Abraham's going to be happy and everybody's going to love me. And, you know, it's just going to be a little family, just the three of us and a little baby, right? It's just going to be fantastic, right? That's our solution, right? Scripture says, when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. It did not work out, guys. It didn't work out. If you keep reading the passage, it gets even worse, she ends up wanting to throw this baby out into the wilderness. And it's, it's, it just goes wrong. Why? Because rather than wait for God's plan, she had a temporary solution. And it would be easy, actually, in a way, to look at her and condemn her in this moment. But if we're honest, can't you feel her frustration? Can't you feel her pain? Can't you feel her desperation? She just wants, she just wants a good life. She just wants what she believes is right. She wants to have a child. I mean, what's wrong with that, right? Nothing's wrong with that. But like, like her, we do the same thing. We go, God, I, I want what's good, but I'm not getting it the way that you've told me that I need to get it. I'm going to get it this way. And every time we do that, it backfires. Every single time, it backfires. If Sarah were here today, here's what she'd say. Keep trusting God, even if it's taking forever. Even if you're like, when is this going to change? When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen, God? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. When is this going to happen? There's a great story about a guy who came to God and he said, God, what is a million years like to you? God said, a million years, it's like, to me, it's like a second. And the guy says, oh, okay. He says, well, what is, what's a million dollars to you, God? And God says, a million dollars to me, it's like a penny. It's nothing. And the guy says, well, God, could I just have a penny? And God says, sure, just a second. And, <laughs> some of you guys remember, um, 
Thank you for that laughter. There's a, you know what, there's a lot of generous laughter out there today. And I just, as a pastor, I want to say I appreciate that. Thank you. I'll be writing thank you cards to each and every one of you this afternoon. Um, a, few, a few months ago, um, uh, a couple women came, and they were with Shante Smith. Um, and they came and did a presentation. Their names are Avery and Julia Woodley. They came up here on the stage, and they were talking about this, um, this program uh, that we were doing for young women, young teenage girls in the community. Um, those women, Avery and Julia, are the, uh, the wife and the sister of this man here, whose name is Tyron Woodley. And uh, Tyron Woodley is a local mixed martial artist, a mixed martial artist uh, fighter. Um, and so some of you know that I, I'm a fan of mis, mixed martial arts, so every once in a while, even when I try not to, I can't help it, I, I have to use a fighting illustration. So um, uh, Tyron Woodley is a local fighter. He's, uh, he went to Mizzou. He was the wrestling captain at Mizzou for three years. He's an NCAA All-American. He was a Big, tw- Big 12 Conference champion. Uh, and over the years, Tyron has slowly climbed through the ranks of the professional fighting world. And about a year ago... Um, something happened that was really exciting because it just doesn't happen very often for fighters. He got an opportunity to fight a, a, to, to fight a guy named Johnny Hendricks. And Johnny Hendricks uh, and he were going to fight, and whoever won that fight was going to get a shot at the world welterweight title. And it was a big deal. And so Tyron began to practice. He began to train. He hired a boxing coach. He hired a wrestling coach, a jiu-jitsu coach, and sparring partners, and got a camp together, spent tens of thousands of dollars to prepare for this fight. Got himself prepared mentally, physically, spiritually, got his, you know, his head together for this match, for this competition. And the night before he was supposed to fight, this is last October of 2015, the night before he was supposed to fight, he got a call. And he was told by the, by the, by the uh, UFC that the fight was off. This is the night before, you guys. He had been preparing for months. They said, you know, your opponent, Johnny Hendricks, he didn't, he didn't cut weight. He didn't get down to the proper weight. And um, he tried to do it all at the end. And, uh, he, you know, his health got compromised and he was put in the hospital. Your fight is off. And Tyron, I mean, this is devastating. He's, he's laid out tens of thousands of dollars for this fight. He's prepared. He's planned. This is the biggest moment of his life. He's going to get a shot at the welterweight title. All of this, right? And suddenly to find out, it's gone. It's totally gone. And I follow fighting, and I, and I, and I you know, read the interviews and watch the interviews. And I was amazed by his response after this fight. Because he could have ridiculed Johnny Hendricks. He could have complained. He could have gotten upset. He could have been just an absolute, I mean, I, I, I don't know. If, if it were me, I just don't know. But here's what he said. He said, you know what? And he said this in an interview. He said, I called Johnny, and I told him that I'm praying for him. He said, he's got three little daughters, and I know that, um, you know, he's missing out on money too. And, and also, I'm praying for his health. I hope his health isn't compromised. And he said, you know what? Uh, he said, I'm, I've got my priorities straight. He said, I am seeking God first. And I believe that everything else will be added to me. That's what he said, live. And I was reading that, and I'm like, oh, man, man, that is amazing. That is really a powerful, powerful testimony, Tyron. I don't know how you're going to navigate this for the next who knows. Because who knows if he ever gets another shot? Who knows? Well, something happened last week. 
uh, and it just tied in so well that I've got I've to tell this. So last Saturday night, Tyron Woodley got a second chance, and he got an opportunity to fight the actual welterweight champion, a guy named Ruthless Robbie Lawler, because he's mean, he's tough. Uh, and, he's, and, and he got a chance to fight him and for the welterweight title, and last Saturday night, in two minutes and 12 seconds, he took the belt away from Ruthless Robbie Lawler. Just like that. Knockout in two minutes, 12 seconds. Yeah, I'm a fan. Um, and he became the champion. In fact, it was the fastest finish of any champ- welterweight championship about ever in the history of fighting. And so this week I reached out to his family and I said, you know, I, the patience, the endurance, the perseverance that he showed, the character, the class during that time... I, I want to I use that as a sermon illustration this week. Can I get a quote, like, from, from you guys, you know, from Tyron? This is what they sent me. It says this. It says, When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say that I used everything you gave me. I mean... Am I saying that God made Tyron Woodley win the welterweight title? No. I don't think God bets on sports, okay? Here's what I think, though. I think he honors patience. And when you're a person who says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor you. I'm going to show compassion for my opponent. I'm going to show... God honors that. It's not going to make you win or lose the fight. He could have lost the fight. Same thing. But, but this is a man saying, look, I'm going to try to follow God I'm going to endure, I'm going to be patient in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of hardship, no matter how long it takes. Some of you today, you're, you're waiting and waiting and it's taking forever. And you're going, God, I just don't know if I can keep trusting you. I don't know if I can keep following you. I don't know if it's worth it for me to keep adhering to your principles and your precepts and your laws. Because really, I just want to toss it. And I want to go a totally different direction. And God is saying, wait. Trust me, I'm working it out for your good. But you got to trust me with the timing. you got to trust me with the timing in the good times, in the hard times, in the, in, the, in the rough times. Trust me with the timing. I am working it out for your good. So years and years and years go by. Sarah is now getting old, way past childbearing years. Abraham's getting old. The Bible says that Abraham is 100 at this point. He's old. That's just, he's old. Uh, and by now they've tried to force God's hand. They've tried these little maneuvers and nothing's worked. They keep backfiring. And then one day, Abraham is out uh, by his tent. Scripture says, the Lord, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. One of the men said, where is your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. She was 90. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, as I said, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed. She laughed to herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time, God's time, next year, and Sarah will have a son. And then it says that Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. I love this line. But he said, 
Yes, you did that. Um, I'm with Sarah on this one. I got to tell you. Like, really? This is crazy. This is laughable. This is ridiculous. Am I really? Like, at this point, I mean, and okay, you're God, and that's awesome, and you can do whatever, and you can do the impossible. But really? Seriously? That's how Sarah felt, right? If Sarah were here today, here's what she'd say. Trust God even when it seems absurd. I'm going to close with this. I don't know about, you know, all of your own personal experiences that you've had. But I, I can tell you this. The worst, very worst day of my life was April 14, 2004. My dad passed away. Great man of God. Wonderful guy. Great Christian. Loved God. Just great guy. And if you had asked me in that moment, hey, how's God working towards your good in this circumstance? I would have said, get out of my face. You're crazy. This is ridiculous. He's not working towards my good. There's nothing good from this, right? He was a great guy, and he didn't do harm. He he brought love and joy, and, you know, he's a great pastor. God took him. So there's no good to come out of that. That's what I would have said. You're ridiculous. That's absurd. That's crazy. And yet, over the years, I have learned that God used that moment Just in my own personal experience, God used that moment to rattle my life, to shatter some of my doubts and skepticisms, and make me rethink the value of Him, and make me begin to understand that I can't do this on my own. And through that experience, God brought me to Him. Now, am I saying that God did that so that I would become a Christian? No. I don't understand God's ways. He's his plans, the scripture says, are above ours, right? His ways are above ours. His thoughts are above ours. Our wisdom is foolishness to him. So I have no, I, I'm not going to tell you that, oh, yeah, you know, it's the lockstep. You know, you just pop, 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 and that's how it worked out. No, but what I am saying is that now that I look back, he used something that was bad, objectively bad, for my good. And I don't know what it is that you're, struggling with today or what circumstance you're in but would you just trust can you just trust that God is working it out for your good that he loves you and that he wants to see you through he wants to see you grow he wants things to happen inside of you that are more important than the things that are happening to you he wants to transform you and sometimes that requires that you wait and sometimes that requires that you endure And sometimes that requires that you're patient when you don't want to be, when life is difficult. You say, how how can I do this? I want to give you three very quick encouragements as we close. Number one, acknowledge who's in charge. Acknowledge who's in charge. Who is in charge in your life? Is it you or is it him? Because if it's you, that's going to be a problem. You're going to to keep making decisions that will hit you and you run into roadblocks and will backfire because you can't understand all that's going on. Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Who's in charge? You, only you can answer that for yourself. Be still, it says, and know. Number two, see your trial as a test, not as a torture. See your trial as a test. When you're in, that, in the midst of that trial, 
What can I learn from this? Is there anything I can learn? If I don't know what I can learn, God, then just let me learn what I can learn. Help me to figure it out. How can I grow through this? James, Jesus' brother, said this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, these trials are testing your faith, and that testing produces perseverance. Let perseverance, let endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants to do stuff in you, and sometimes it's a challenge, but he wants to do something in you and transform you, and it takes endurance and perseverance, but he's going to use that to transform you into who he wants you to be. And the last one is this. Compare your decisions to God's directives. Compare your decisions to God's directives. As you're waiting, are you saying, all right, I know God says this, but I'm going to do this. I know that God, the scripture says this, but honestly, my emotions, my feelings, my desires, they're just going to have to trump the scripture at this point. They, they override the scripture. I can't, I know the scripture says this, but I, I'm not going to do it, right? Who's in charge? The directives of, of God or your own desires? Last verse says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I just want to invite you, all of you that are here today. I know I've probably gone long. I did go long. Thank you for your patience. See, I was, it was planned. That was planned. Um, I, want to, I want to just tell you that some of, some of you are, you're not followers of Jesus yet. You know, you're thinking about it. It's possible, maybe, but... There's a lot of questions. I'm not sure if I'm there. I want to invite you to at least open your heart to the possibility of it today. Because he does work things out for our good. He does want to bring you into his love and to his grace and his mercy. Do you have to have all the answers figured out? No, you don't. But if you'll take a step, he'll walk you through. No one's promising it's a, it's a rose garden, right? Nobody's promising it's easy. But it's a life that will transform you. You will be changed by the power of God in your life. And he will lead you down a path that's an eternal plan, not a temporary fix. If you're a follower of Jesus here today and you're like kind of on the fence because you're just struggling and you're like, I really just want to pull the chute. I really just want to bail out. You know, I'm like Gabriella, except I don't want to run that last 400 meters. I want to go sit down in the middle of the trap and drink some Gatorade. I'm out. I'm tired. Right? Let him work in your life today. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Wherever it is in your life, if if you need help with it, if you're struggling with it, that's what we're here for. We're a family. We're a family here. Get involved in a life group. Come and meet one of us. Reach out to us. Email. If you need some help walking through it, you're trying to endure something, we're here for you. We're here for you as a church family. We've got leaders and elders and, 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 and we're here and we're you know, we've got life groups. We're, we're here to help you walk through it, even in the hard times. So I just want to encourage you today. Don't give up. Don't be weary in well-doing. Because all things are working together for your good. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. God, we ask you today that, we ask that your spirit just, Take these words from your, your scripture and drop them into the soil of people's hearts today. 
those who are struggling, those who are on their last lap, those who are worn out and tired and weary and about to give up. God, I just pray that that you would bring encouragement to them today, that you would bring hope and patience and help them to persevere and endure in the midst of their struggle and in the midst of their hardship. I pray, God, that you would break through all of the the anger and the bitterness, the, 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 the woundedness in their heart and in their life, God, and you would just give them a glimmer of hope. Just give them a glimmer of light so that they can see that, in fact, yes, you are working it out for their good. God, I just pray that every single person here today would receive a renewed hope, something miraculous, not something that we can do, but something that only you can do by the power of your spirit, would reach into people's hearts today and transform them and bring them hope and love and grace and peace and that they would know that you are working it out for their good and that they would step into your grace and they would step into your mercy and they would step into your peace and they would know, God, that you are there for them and that you will answer and that you will fulfill your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.